The Gospel of Luke is often noted for its economic focus. Luke seems to be especially concerned with the issues of poverty and wealth, and often divvies people up into rich and poor. In our American context, there has been a tendency in well-educated middle-class contexts to spiritualize this economic focus. Some have insisted that we are all poor spiritually, and so Luke wasn't really talking about economic realities. He wasn't talking about money, but he was. Luke was concerned with issues that still distinguish rich and poor in our society, who had access to housing, who had access to food, who had access to medical care, who had ethnic and national privilege in society, and who were the strangers and foreigners, the poor and the widows in his society. And Luke's definition of rich was quite different than how many Americans think of it. While many of us are tempted to only think of the most wealthy in our society as being rich, the Bill Gates and the Jeff Bezos of the world, Luke called anyone rich who had somewhere to live, who was not an immigrant, who was not a widow or an orphan, who was healthy, who had some measure of security. I don't normally think of myself as rich. I'm a graduate student. <laughs> There's a few who remember that life. <laughs> but I find it hard to deny that when Luke is talking about the rich, he is talking about people like me and perhaps like people like you too. As you hear today's scripture, and as we talk more about the wealth, about wealth in the Gospel of Luke, I invite you to listen to, um, for Luke's more expansive de definition of what it means to be rich, and to ponder how it might apply in your own context. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I had defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek out and to save the lost. Hear what the spirit is saying to the church, amen. In the year 1205, a young man named Francis from Assisi in modern-day Italy stole his father's fine silk clothing and some of his riches so that he might donate the money to a leper in a nearby hospital. His father, named Pietro, was livid at the betrayal of his trust by his son, 
and dragged young Francis before a local magistrate. He wanted to teach Francis a lesson, not to really get him in trouble, but to scare him for having stolen from his father. Before the magistrate, Pietro demanded that Francis make reparations for his theft, and when Francis refused to pay him back, he demanded then that Francis stop depending on his father, who, as a clothing merchant, had literally put the clothes on his back. Francis agreed that he should not depend on Pietro any longer, and as he was wearing his father's fine silk clothing, he stripped naked right then and there in the courthouse. He stood entirely naked before his father and the magistrate and before God and everyone to declare that he eschewed worldly wealth as it only got in his way of following the path Jesus had laid out for him. I imagine he felt so much lighter standing there, having given up all his worldly possessions, no longer tied down by the wealth of his family, no longer expected to be a cloth merchant. He was free to give his whole life to following Jesus. I imagine it felt like a great burden had been taken off of his back. Wealth can be a heavy burden to carry, even when it is only as heavy as a silk shirt on your back. St. Francis knew it, and it's also something that Zacchaeus, as a tax collector, knew to be true. Now, if you think that a tax collector was just an innocent civil servant fulfilling a necessary role for a community, think again. Roman tax collectors took tolls for the government and also added their own charges on top of it, which they took directly off the top. As a chief tax collector in Jericho, a luxurious trading city like a modern-day Chicago, he would have had many men who worked under him. For someone like Zacchaeus, he would have had scores of people collecting charges on his behalf, which went directly into his own wallet. He was a powerful man with both money and empire on his side. And it appears, based on this passage, that he was aware of all the ways that this power, money, and privilege was a terrible burden for him to carry around. But to understand the character of Zacchaeus fully, we have to look back to the preceding chapter, which we can understand as a long introduction leading up to Zacchaeus's um, entrance into today's reading especially the story of Jesus' interaction with a rich young ruler, which acts as something like a foil to Zacchaeus. Perhaps you know the story of the rich young ruler, or at least the saying that comes out of it. One day, a ruler approaches Jesus and asks what he must do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus tells him, Hey, you've been to Sunday school, and you already know the Ten Commandments. So just follow those if you want to inherit eternal life. And the ruler stops and thinks about what Jesus said and mulls it over in his head and says with confidence, well, Jesus, I do know the Ten Commandments and I already follow them perfectly. And I, I always have. What else should I do if I want to inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him that he must sell everything he has and distribute all the money to the poor and then come and follow him. But unlike his confident response the first time around, this time the young ruler becomes sad because he was very rich. And as he's walking away, Jesus gives the real zinger. He turns to the crowd and announces, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. 
Ouch. That's harsh, Jesus. If the rich young ruler was sad before, I can't imagine he feels much better after that pep talk from our Savior. But Jesus tells it like it is. Wealth is too heavy a burden for anyone to carry with them into the kingdom of God. And yet it would still take a miracle for a rich person to give up power and wealth. And the crowd, when they hear this from Jesus, wonders, who then can be saved? And then, and only then, does Jesus give them the good news. What is impossible for humans is possible for God. Enter Zacchaeus. We know very little about Zacchaeus. He was short in stature. Now, whether that was socially or in height, Luke doesn't really clarify for us. And he was rich, and he wanted to see Jesus. A discerning reader of Luke's gospel would guess that this encounter would not go well. After all, we just heard of another rich man who wanted to see Jesus. But things go very differently for Zacchaeus than they did for the young ruler we just heard about. Zacchaeus really wants to see Jesus, and so he's making a plan about how he can do that. He can't push through the crowd that has gathered around Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, and so he makes a tactical decision. He anticipates which road Jesus is going to walk down, and he runs ahead of everyone and to ensure that he doesn't lose his prime spot when the Jesus parade comes along, he climbs a tree. Nothing, it seems, will come between Zacchaeus and seeing that glimpse of Christ. And see him, Zacchaeus does, and even more than that, because Jesus does something our eager tax collector did not anticipate when he was climbing up that sycamore tree. Jesus invites himself over for dinner as if he hadn't signed up for our progressive dinner last night and came at the last minute. And not only did he invite himself over for dinner, but he invited himself to stay the night and at that house of Zacchaeus's, that house which was surely the most luxurious in Jericho with the beautiful professionally kept lawn, the lakefront location, the best school district, close to the good restaurants with the fancy cars in the driveway. And Jesus' followers look around saying, hey, we've been following this guy who preaches all day about how God is for the poor, and now look at him. He's going to go hang out with that rich guy who rips us off all day and who works for the imperialist army that oppresses us. Can you believe he's eating with that sinner? And sinner is probably the nicer version of what they actually wanted to call him. I can think of a few choice words they probably reserved for Zacchaeus. After all, he had caused them real harm. The Roman governmental system was unforgiving for the poor, and their reputation of brutality and oppression preceded them in ancient Palestine especially. But for reasons Luke does not share with us, Zacchaeus still wanted to see Jesus for himself. My best guess is that Zacchaeus was intrigued by this Jewish teacher who recognized the ways in which wealth could be a burden. My guess is that Zacchaeus already felt that cumbersome weight of his wealth and wanted to listen to somebody who could say that you could live a different way. My guess is that Zacchaeus was waiting for something impossible for humans, but possible for God. And it appears that Zacchaeus had already heard Jesus' message to the rich young ruler loud and clear. 
because Jesus told the ruler to sell all that he had and give it to the poor, and Zacchaeus was eager to do that. He hears the grumbling of the poor who follow Jesus, and perhaps he feels the shame and the alienation that comes with having hurt a community. And he blurts out, Jesus, I, I will sell half of everything I own. I'll downsize that beautiful house. I'll give up the prestige of my position. I'll donate half my wardrobe, and I'll divest my portfolio. And Jesus, I'll take all this money I earned from selling all of this, and I will give it all to the poor. I will track down everyone I've ever wronged, and I'll pay them back four times as much as I owe them. Upon merely seeing Jesus, just glimpsing him, Zacchaeus gave up all his worldly power, all his wealth, and he followed the advice that Jesus gave to that rich young ruler. He gave it all away. As far as we know, he didn't pull a Francis and strip naked right then and there. I think the gospel probably would have mentioned that. But he did strip, but he did strip himself of his possessions. Like Francis... He gave up that heavy burden so that he might feel light enough to follow Jesus on the way. And just as soon as Zacchaeus swears to give away his wealth, Jesus announces that salvation has come to the house of Zacchaeus. I guess a camel can pass through the eye of a needle after all. In Luke's gospel, wealth and power are barriers to salvation. There is the rich young ruler who can't stand apart from his wealth. And there's tax collector after tax collector who Jesus refers to as ill, as needing doctors, as being lost. He says, and I quote, Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. And the models of faith that Luke offers in contrast to these rich tax collectors are people like Mary, the mother of Jesus who was poor and powerless, and widows who had no means to care for themselves, and lepers who were so ostracized that they aren't even allowed in the city. And he tells us it would take a miracle, a miracle, an act of God, for the rich to know the kingdom of God like these models of faith who are poor do. He tells us that this feat for rich to know the kingdom of God is impossible, impossible for humans. In our context, most of us might find ourselves feeling an awful lot like that rich young ruler. At least I know I do. I live in Hyde Park, and I am aware of the ways in which my home is artificially safe, and I recognize that all the resources I live near, things like parks, and schools, and cute little coffee shops, and a wonderful weekly farmer's market, and access to fresh, healthy food at multiple grocery stores are things that my neighbors just a few miles west of me do not have access to. In the context of the south side of Chicago, I am certainly among the rich. As I live a life of ease, while my neighbors nearby live in violence, in food deserts, Based off of this, I have to say that I think Jesus would probably say woe to me. Maybe you feel the same way at your home here in Glen Ellen or Wheaton or Lombard. For most of us, the trappings and realities of our lives, things that we really like about our lives, things like higher education, advanced degrees, home ownership, 
multiple cars, multiple homes, socially acceptable white-collar jobs. These are things that Jesus may point out to us as being signs and symptoms of our wealth, of being the rich. And so when I read the Gospel of Luke, Jesus' words often sound pretty harsh to me. What am I supposed to make of it if Jesus calls me ill or lost or needing a doctor? What am I supposed to do with the fact that Jesus says woe to people like me? Hearing that it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for someone like me to enter the kingdom of God? It's a little hard to hear. But Jesus doesn't leave us there in the bad news because he promised to us that what is impossible for humans, what's impossible for me, is still possible for God, leaving open the possibility that you and I might pass through the eye of that needle after all, that we might see an act of God, a miracle in our lives too. By merely seeking and seeing Jesus, Zacchaeus himself became a miracle. And throwing off the heavy burden of his wealth, Zacchaeus' very life becomes something that is impossible for humans and possible for God. He was that camel, loping through the eye of the needle like it was nothing. But he isn't alone in his life being transformed into a miracle. He climbed into that sycamore tree so that he might get a glimpse of Jesus, and it changed his life forever. And he's not alone in the tree. He's up there with Dorothy Day and Francis and the desert mothers and fathers and John Woolman and endless numbers of famous saints who gave it all to follow Jesus on the way. And it's not just the most notable Christians in history who have followed Jesus on this very difficult path. It's also countless scores of the faithful saints who lived and died anonymously quietly giving up their wealth and their power just because they got a glimpse of Jesus. And he invited himself to stay in their homes, and they opened their doors and said yes. And they let Jesus change their lives forever. Before Francis's dramatic conversion, he lived a life of luxury. He was the son of a merchant, and he would have inherited a great wealth in the form of his father's international fabric trade. And his conversion came when he heard the story of Jesus' interaction with the rich young ruler and the command in the story to sell all that he had, give the money to the poor, and follow Jesus. Zacchaeus and Francis are not so different in that way. They both found a new freedom when they cast off their possessions. When Jesus spoke to the rich young ruler, someone who today might live in Hyde Park, or Glen Ellen, or Wheaton. He said it would be impossible for that young man to find himself in the kingdom of God. And again, in today's reading, he calls people like me, and maybe people like you too, lost. But those very harsh words are softened by the promise we see in Zacchaeus and saints throughout the ages. Jesus has come to seek out and save the lost. That is the promise he gives us at the end of today's reading. Jesus is seeking out, searching for people like you and me and Francis and transforming our lives so that we are living embodied miracles. In Christ, we are empowered to do things that seem impossible for ourselves, 
on our own and to do those very things in which we will find our greatest freedom. And thanks be to God for that freedom and those miracles. Amen.